welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Like Brian said, on the first Sunday of each month, we like to review our doctrinal statements. As the elder board uh, discussed a lot during some of our retreats, we really felt like the, there's a continuing educational process that needs to take place with some basic fundamental doctrines. And one of the coolest things about our church is that we have people from a wide variety of backgrounds. One of the biggest struggles as a church that we have is that we have a lot of people from a wide variety of backgrounds. Um, so what we want to do is we want to align everybody to the Scripture, uh, specifically how we interpret the Scripture uh, as a church, because we want you to know what you're getting into, uh, first of all, and then also because we really believe it. Um, and so this month, uh, we have the Doctrinal Statement of Man. In about the next 25 to 30 minutes, we're going to uh, pick, pick apart the not just the Doctrinal Statement, but also... The, uh, the complete statement that we have uh, online. So let's read the statement. So for, as far as man is concerned, we believe that people were created in the image of God, are born with the knowledge of God, and have been cursed by sin so that they are separated from God and stand in condemnation under his wrath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tremendous opportunity to dive into your word, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in your word a lot. Uh, It's what you've given to us to help guide and direct us uh, on this life for as long as you have us here, Uh, and that varies between all of us, Uh, but there are some very certain specific things that you want all of us to know. Uh, So may you uh, speak through me, and may those things come through today with regard to Uh, humankind. And we pray in your name, amen. Okay, so what is man that you are mindful of him? The very first time I sat down to really dig into this doctrinal statement that we have, this this passage, uh, Psalm 8, came to my mind, and it's been stuck there, and I, I just can't get away from it. And so, Since that's me and I'm the one studying, I just want to pose the question to you. When's the last time that you just kind of sat in creation and kind of let it soak in and just thought and reflected upon who you are and, you you know, how did I get here? You know, who is God? You know, uh, I think it's okay to to ask those questions because the answers are very, very important and give you a lot of direction and meaning in your life. So um, I had the opportunity to do this not too long ago. It was actually about a almost a year ago now, last, uh, last August, I was told that I didn't have to come to work anymore uh, permanently, and uh, it was a huge surprise. Uh, it was a very difficult uh, thing for me to, to go through, but to help gather my thoughts and kind of uh, realign my thinking uh, with this surprise, I went to visit my best friend who lives in Virginia and uh, we played golf, so that was good. Um, and then on the way home, I drove through uh, Shenandoah uh, National Park. 
I didn't realize it was like a whole state in itself. Uh, and once you get in there, like you can't get out, uh, which explains the, the cost. Uh, but so, so I got in there and as I'm driving through, I'm trying to take pictures and just reflect on like who, you, those questions that I said, who am I? Who is God? What does he care uh, you know, about me? What, what are you doing you know, in my life? A lot of these questions that were coming through my head. Um, but doing this, as, as I went through, it was almost like, like a compass. It was like a compass for my soul, kind of just realigning um, you know, a lot of these thoughts and feelings that I was having. Uh, so if we go, there we go. Um, I got to, you know, the pictures can't do it justice. You know, you need to go there and visit yourself. Um, but it was, oh, how'd that get in there? Uh, <laughs> um, it was just such a good experience, and it really did refresh my soul. It helped me uh, answer some of those questions. You know, who am I? I'm very, very small. Uh, who is God? He's incredible. Um, and he's just blessed us with so much. And these are, you know, views like this and thoughts like this are things that I want to share with my kids and, and help them understand as they have these questions too. So going back to um, the question, what is man that you are mindful of him in Psalm 8? Uh, I just, I want to read through this. And, and it's kind of, you know, in relation to those pictures I'd showed, it's, it's almost like I can, I can picture David as a young person shepherding um, in, in God's creation. Uh, and, and as he's sitting there one of these nights, or many of these nights, he's reflecting, you know, on the moon, the stars, everything that was around him. And I don't know what he was writing with or what he was writing on, but as, as he pens some of these psalms, it's, it's easy for me to, to put myself in that place, and as he's writing this psalm, to think of what it would have been like. So I kind of want to challenge you to do that as I read Psalm 8, 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas." O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so when we go back to the, the doctrinal statement that we have, uh, that was originally established for our church, we're going to pick it apart. Uh, there's, there's like four main points in this. And then we also have, if you drive deeper into the, um, the expanded statement that we have in a PDF through, through online that you can look at, there's, there's just so much here. So let's race through it. Um, the, this is going to be very scripture heavy. I know we, we don't really turn to different passages and take notes like we used to because we don't get in trouble as much as we used to. Uh, but I'll do, I'll do the best I can as I go through the passages to, to help you get a feeling for uh, you know, what the text is saying and how it relates to 
uh, our statement here. So the first part, we believe that people were created in the image of God. God created the universe and everything within it in six literal 24-hour days. That's what we believe. Now, this view is known as sudden creationism. How many of you have heard that term before? Like three or four of us. And, and Ray has heard it because I told him I just discovered it uh, when I was studying this. And I'm like, we need to define this? Isn't this just what everybody believes? And it's sadly, it's just not true. Um, so sudden creationism is what we would say that we believe in. Um, uh, he, God didn't just, you know, get things started and then say, hey, good luck with everything. Uh, he was very intentional. And uh, what we find throughout Genesis uh, at the beginning there is exactly uh, the way that we, we believe God operated and how he brought things into being. So what is man? Um, as we go through this, one of the first things that I want to focus on is, is man is created in the image. So in Genesis 1, in the first five days of creation, uh, God said, let, let there, and then he created something. And he did it over and over again. And then as he created man, he says, then, in verse 26, so it's set apart as something special. He says, then, let us make. And so the way that he created everything and the way that he created man is very distinct. And it's very special. The word image there in Hebrew means a copy. Or it gives the idea of representation. So a king would have a copy or an image or an idol of himself to proclaim his, his uh, kingdom, his realm. And people could look at that image and know it stood for him. The word likeness there in verse 26 also uh, is, is standing for, it, it means pattern or shape or a form. So there must be an original thing for the pattern to be formed from. Now for me, my son Shiloh, he's an illustration for us here. He is in my likeness. Some ways that he won't like, some ways hopefully that he will, some ways that I don't like, um, but he is in my likeness in, in some of his looks, his mannerisms, his habits, sinfulness, uh, his abilities, his emotions, but he is not me. He's just an image. He's a likeness of me. Thanks, buddy. Mankind is the only creation that uniquely bears the image of God. You look at everything else that was created, and this was God's intention. We are image bearers of God himself. So Adam, from Genesis, was an actual historical being. I mean, when I was young, we didn't have to argue this stuff. It, you just, you know, everyone just believed it. It's just not that way anymore. We believe that he was, he was an actual historical human being. In fact, the first one ever created. The interactions he had with God the profound introduction to his wife and the generations that followed him actually and historically happened. So this, I believe this is one of those, you know, hills to die on. Some things we can kind of differ on and, and move on and still be friends. Um, I think this is one of those hills that we need to die on. MacArthur in his work, Biblical Doctrine, put it really well. He said, a literal Adam is foundational for understanding the origin and history of the human race, the nature of humanity, the origin of sin, the beginning of human and animal death, the need for salvation, the church, and even the future existence of mankind. 
it's critical that we believe in an actual historical Adam that was created initially. In fact, Paul makes several comparisons between Adam and Jesus in Romans 5 that are critical to the gospel narrative. Adam brings death, guilt, condemnation to all who are in him. And Christ brings life, freedom, righteousness, justification to all who are united with him. But also when we look at this idea of being creating an in an image of God, I have to park it just for a couple seconds on gender. So when we look at Genesis 1, we should also talk about genders. The idea in fleshing out of gender was created by God. So we look at Genesis 1, or 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and that's humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Jesus repeated this in reply to a pharisaical question in Matthew 19, 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Like, duh, you know, he's kind of got this sarcastic kind of speech to it. Don't you remember this? And obviously as Pharisees, they knew this. They knew, they knew scripture, at least in their head. Genders are not meant to be flexible, vague, chosen, and they are not accidental. It was an intentional creation that God did of his image. When you drive down deeper into our complete statement, we say, we believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. So God didn't just create man and woman differently. He created them differently on purpose. It's not an accident. Listen to the language of the passage that I'm about to read. It is, I, th- I think it is just beautiful. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Genesis 2, 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So think about this. In this moment of creation, he has Adam and and God. Adam and God. And so he he creates these animals and everything, brings them to him, and he presents them to Adam and says, name them. And God observes this. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. I'd get, I get exhausted just reading that. I can't imagine having to, do, having to do that myself, and that's probably why God didn't have me do that. Um, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That is God's perfect plan. Gender is defined at conception and revealed at birth. Gender is not only important with regards to identification and roles within humanity, it is critical in procreation. Let's think about this. Men and women, it's critical in procreation. Procreation was even part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Genesis 3.15, a lot of us are familiar with this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he's talking to Satan, talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That offspring was part of God's redemptive plan. And it's only possible with male and female being brought together just like God originally designed it. Moving on. So what is man? He's created in God's image. But also, we believe that people are born with a knowledge of God. We are born with a knowledge of God. Every human is created, you've probably heard this before, with a God-shaped vacuum in their soul. Let's take a couple, uh, look at a couple verses. Ecclesiastes 3, 10 through 12. Okay, so Solomon, as he, in all his wisdom, as he's observing life going on for years and years, pens his thoughts here. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we're constantly trying to figure this thing out called eternity. It's in our heart. It's, it's, it's the way we were made, and we'll never figure it out, but that's the way God wanted it. Acts 17, 22 through 28. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopis, Ar- Aeropagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in, in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For 
in him we live and move and have our being. It's all made possible through him. Regardless of your thoughts of him, you exist, live, and breathe because of him. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what is man? Well, man was born with the knowledge of God. We also believe that people have been cursed by sin. People have been cursed by sin. We're going to park here on sin for a little bit, just a couple minutes. Is that all right? We're going to do it anyway. God gave Adam instructions. He did not relay them. Adam did not relay them properly to Eve and did not protect her from Satan. You know, you had one job. Um, as we look at Genesis 2, 15 to 17, Genesis 2, 15 to 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So cultivate and protect. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you recall if Eve was present? She was not. The instruction was given to Adam. And he was the one responsible to guide and protect. We look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 now. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's quite a stretch going from like one tree to any. That's how he works. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say, Neither shall you touch it? See, now what I can see, I wasn't there, but what I can see is Adam relaying the instructions from God and saying, Do not eat of this. Oh, and by the way, don't even touch it. Because I do that with my kids. <laughs> I don't have to do that with my wife. Uh, I do that with my kids. You know, you kind of take it one step further just to make sure. Didn't work. Um, so that was Eve's response. In verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam was the representative head of humanity and is held responsible for this act of disobedience to God. Man has inherited Adam's sin, which is a transgression against God's law, and is therefore born in sin. So Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. There's like no wiggle room in there, is there? Matthew 15, 10 to 20. And, he called, and Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. So it comes from within. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The heart defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Need I go on? That's not in there. But there are they, These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone, which is probably the issue that they were bringing up. So it's what's inside that comes out. We're already defiled inside. 1 Corinthians 2.14. told you it's a lot of scripture. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So speaking of parking on, on sin, uh, man, the church is just under fire in a lot of areas. But one area that I feel like the church has just absolutely battled to uh, even just have discourse with between believers and non-believers are sexual sins. I mean, just wide variety of, of, of different ways um, that they come out of humans. I mean, we have just really struggled with communicating it, handling it, teaching it to our kids. Um, just not so good. It's an area we can improve. But speaking of sexual sins, when, uh, you know, when preaching a, a topical message, I'm not big on like, you know, grabbing a proof text and trying to prove, you know, this, this point that I have. Uh, but we do address some of this in our complete doctrinal statement, so I want to bring it up because I have the opportunity. In our complete doctrinal statement, we say, believe, we believe that the term marriage has only one meaning. 
the uniting of one man and one woman in a single exclusive union as delineated in Scripture. In the Genesis 2, 18 to 25. We covered this, where, where God says, you know, it's not good that man should be alone. What are we going to do about this? Let's give him a woman. We believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. We get this from 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 7.1-5, 1 Corinthians 7.1-5 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and this is what they wrote, okay, this, so this is how you got to read it. Paul says, Oh, speaking of that one thing that you brought up, and that one thing that they brought up was, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul's like, all right, let's, let's take a second, cover this. Uh, so in verse 2 he says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband shall give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Likewise, the, oh, I already read that. (laughs) Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. No amens? All right. <laughs> I told you, we don't, we don't talk about this. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Do you know what God is saying about this subject? About being sexually immoral? It's very simple. Stop it. It's very simple. Stop it. If you are sexually active or involved with anyone other than your spouse, you are sinning against God, your creator. Our statement goes on. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, including adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, Bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, and use of pornography is sinful and offensive to God. Matthew 15. Again, this is, this is God's word. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. We talked about this. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, uh, we covered that also. Homosexuality was not a part of creation. There are no redeeming qualities of homosexual attractions and actions. 
It is a result of the fall. There is a huge push right now to try and convince people that homosexuality was pre-fall. And it's just not true. Homosexual actions go against God's natural law. And that's what we believe because that's what the Bible teaches. Moving on. We believe that people are separated from God and stand in condemnation under his wrath. Our complete statement goes on to say, humans are born as sinners and remain so unless and until they are redeemed by God. Sin cannot and will not spend eternity with God. We believe that every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. If you look at Mark 12, 28 through 31, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, so asked, asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, he didn't ask for the second, but God's going to give it, Jesus is going to give it to him anyway. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So I love that we took the time to put this into our expanded doctrinal statement because just because people battle with sin and we might, we might not battle with those specific sins, we need to keep in mind that God has commanded us to love others. Now, does, does loving others equal letting them do or say whatever they want? No. Does loving others hurt people's feelings sometimes? Yes. There is no other greater commandment. And it's something we're, we're going we're gonna to wrestle with that until we get to heaven because we are still imperfect and not glorified yet. Hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes toward, directed toward any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with Scripture nor the doctrines of UPCC. And we have to keep that in mind. And I, I feel like that's, we've just struggled with interacting with people who battle some of these sins. And we can't give up. We must figure this out because it is not going away. So that's the end. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be really depressing? You're condemned to separation. Good luck. It's not the end. So one more. What is man? He is, he is awakened to salvation. Not every man. And we're going to cover that. When you are asleep, you're unaware of everything that's going on around you, right? I mean, you can be startled and wake up because of something, but as you are sleeping, you're completely unaware of what's going on. As physical, okay, so created in God's image, intellectual, we know of God, beings, we can be aware of God and his word. Everyone on a humankind level can be aware of God's word and who God is. But we are spiritually asleep. 
until God awakens us. Going back to our complete statement, humans are completely depraved and will not seek God until he first draws them to himself. Okay, I'm going to say a, a phrase here, total depravity. How many have heard of that before? Okay, more than previous question. I think that's good. Um, so let me tell you about it so that everyone can raise their hand. Total depravity. We know that this doesn't mean that unbelievers will always act as bad as possible or are incapable of doing good things. That's not what it's talking about. And again, I'm going to let John MacArthur tell us from his biblical doctrine work. Total depravity emphasizes the devastating impact of sin on the person and covers three, three related concepts. Number one, the pollution and corruption of all aspects of a person everything. Number two, the complete inability of a person to please God. It's impossible in and of yourself to please God. And every single human is born that way. And three, universality in that all, all are conceived and torn as sinners. Together, these show the abysmal state of unredeemed humanity, all of whom are both unable and unwilling to glorify God. That is the state that every single human being is born into. Thankfully, that's not the end. God, in his infinite knowledge, has called many to be to a saving knowledge of him and his son. Romans 8.29 Okay, we're on the home stretch. Bear with me. Romans 8, 29 to 30 lays this out for us. About as, and, and there are other texts too, but this one does such a good job. 8, 29 to 30. For those whom, he, whom God foreknew, so knew ahead of time, he also predestined, chose to be conformed to the image of his son in order, so in order to, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brothers. So Christ, firstborn, many others to come. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This effectual call from God always, always results in a union with his son, Jesus Christ. That effectual call, no one can refuse. With this call is the promise of justification and glorification. God chooses to see you through, God, to, through Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. He takes Christ's righteousness and credits it to your account. He poured out all wrath toward your sin onto his son on the cross and said, it is complete. In the end, you will be glorified, becoming like Christ and living with your creator forever in heaven. Amen. Back to our statement. We believe that God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sin, seeking his mercy and forgiveness 
through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9-10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you have never done that before, will you do that today? If you have done that already, will you live like it? Live in the light of salvation that God has provided you. Okay, recap. Creation. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to create earth, sky, moon, galaxy, and even man. So God. Man, man is created. Man falls. Man sins. All humankind through Adam has sinned and is completely separated to condemnation, separated from a relationship with God. The reason we were originally created and intended for. So we're separated. But then comes Christ. God, man, Christ. Christ comes down to earth, lives a perfect life that none of us could ever do in a hundred lifetimes because we are bent towards sin and completely depraved. God, man, Christ. Christ solves this problem for us by dying on the cross, by taking God's wrath for your sin upon himself. But there must be a response. You have to respond to all of this information. And by not responding, you are responding. You are rejecting God. You are being left in your total depravity to be separated from God, not just in this life, but in the life to come for all eternity. God, man, Christ response. That is the gospel. And the gospel has been shared with you. And you have been called to make a response. Will you do that? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Without your word, obviously you could have passed down stories from generation to generation or chosen to do something differently, but you have given us your word. May we always, especially as a church, be faithful to the text, to dig into your word, to understand what you would have for us and how you want us to live, regardless of what society is doing, what, regardless of what society is telling us, regardless of people's feelings being hurt, help us to stay true to your word. May this church always be that way. By your grace, we pray. Amen.